Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Lisa Sutherland, assistant professor of pediatrics and senior nutrition scientist with the Hood Center for Families and Children at the Dartmouth Medical School. Dr. Sutherland has a very unique background in both marketing and nutrition, having received her PhD in nutrition from the School of Public Health at the University of North Carolina. Among her many activities, and I mentioned um, on the aside that we've recorded another podcast with Dr. Sutherland on the issue of product placements, but in addition to that, she has been a very prominent figure in the issue of how food labels can be used and how packaged foods can be labeled in ways that may help consumers. And some of our listeners may know that uh, Dr. Sutherland was the lead scientist for the Hannaford Supermarket Guiding Stars Nutrition Program. Uh, that is held up as one of the best examples of how this could really be done well. So could you start, Lisa, by explaining what that Guiding Stars program was? And and some people from outside of this part of the country may not know what Hannaford uh, supermarket chain is. Sure. Well, thank you for having me today, first of all. Yeah, so Guiding Stars was a program that was conceived um, well over um, six years ago now. And what it is, it's, it's it's a front of pack Actually, it's an on-shelf program to help guide the consumer to better choices at the supermarket when they're shopping. So that's kind of in a nutshell what it is. So what we did was kind of come up with a scientific underpinning to help then place one, two, or three stars on the UPC shelf tag to help guide consumers to what we felt were the better choices. All right. Now, that's not an easy job, is it? No, you know, I have to say it was really interesting when when we started this work, and and it's actually probably, we actually probably started the science closer to eight years ago. Now, um, it is the oldest system out there. It'll be four years on the shelf this fall. You know, we looked at it and thought, well, how hard can this be? You know, and two years later, you know, as we were still, you know, moving the science around and thinking, is this right? Is this not right? You know, we thought what we had was the best system out there. And it certainly, to this day, I think it's held up as one of the better systems on the market. But no, the science is never easy in nutrition. Well, and you you can only imagine the challenges because foods are a number of constituents. Mm -hmm. So for example, you could take a breakfast cereal that may may merit a lower score because it has a lot of sugar, but mm-hmm. may merit a better score because it has fiber. And then what do you do if there are vitamins and minerals sprayed right. onto that cereal? And that's just one product. So you can imagine across <clears throat> the, the thousands and thousands of products one can find in a supermarket, how many judgment calls like that have to be made. You know, and that's exactly right. So, you know, one thing the Guiding Stars did that, or that we did that I think that the advisory board that we were right on the money with, um, and other programs say they do as well. Um, so I don't know to what extent they do it, but I can speak to our experiences. We really looked at the underpinnings from some of the FDA language as well as the dietary guidelines, the IOM work, and the WHO work. So I'll use I'll use sugar as an example. I think it's a great example. So the World Health Organization recommends no more than 10% of added calories should be from sugar per day. Now, they don't say that that applies to one food and to not another food um, or across different categories. So what we said was, you know, as we're creating the criteria then, you know, we had different scores based on no more than 25%, no more than 10%, and none added. You know, none added was the best case scenario for added sugar for the program. But we use those across all foods in all categories instead of moving them around category by category like some other programs have done. Okay. So <clears throat> let's create a visual map for the sure. listener. So 
we're walking down the aisle of a supermarket in one of the stores mm-hmm. where the system is being used. What will consumers actually see? Right. So if you're actually shopping the cereal aisle, let's stay with that example. I think that's a great example. So first of all, um, I want to say a couple things about the program when the program rolled out in terms of passing what we always call the straight face test in our field. Only 20, less than 25% of the grocery store received any stars. So it's a tiered system, one, two, or three stars. Only a quarter of the grocery store received anything. So I think that's a really important piece of information, and it spoke pretty much to the choices that we give to consumers in their shopping experience. If you're in the cereal aisle, about half of all cereals received any stars. So there are a number of very redeeming qualities for many cereals, about half of them. If you're shopping the cereal aisle, what you would see are either no, you would see no stars if the product did not meet the criteria. At the, on the UPC, where you see the price label, it's not on the product, it's actually on the, the shelf tag. Or you would see a one-star, a two-star, or a three-star being the best-case scenario. So a three-star example would be like a shredded wheat-type product is a three-star. Kick cereal, which is a lower-sugar cereal, or a Cheerios may be a two-star product. But it's not a three-star because there's still about 4% added sugar in that cereal. Then you get down to a one-star, which is like a honey nut-type Cheerio. And then you get down to all of your kind of fun, high sugar, Reese's Pieces and Cocoa Puffs and Lucky Charm type cereals. And they would get no stars. And they'd get no stars at all. So you'd see nothing at all. So it's interesting because parents love actually the cereal aisle that shop these grocery stores, what we've heard, because they can actually say to their child, you can pick any cereal as long as it has a star, knowing that even with a one star, it's a pretty low sugar cereal. So you started to answer the question I was about to ask. Oh, sorry. No, no, but I'd like like to hear more because it's very interesting. So is there any way of knowing how many consumers look at the stars, are affected by it, what it's doing to overall purchasing behavior? Right. So there is quite a bit of qualitative data internally. Um, Hannaford, the parent company that began this program, um, that they have actually talked about where um, their primary shopper, so their primary shopper meaning that that customer does about 85% of the shopping at just a Hannaford grocery store, um, that of that percentage, three-quarters actually are aware of the program, about half use the program every on every shopping occasion. So that's a very high infiltration from a marketing or from um, a consumer retail perspective with a program. In terms of cereal, you know, cereal is a very fascinating story because we did look at not dollar sales, but items sold over time from kind of pre-program rollout to post-program to a year later. And what we actually found was that before the program rolled out, kind of the higher sugar cereals were really driving the total cereal sales. So cereal sales were up as a whole. We saw higher sugar cereals, meaning kind of 12 grams of sugar or more per serving, driving those sales. After the program rolled out, you see this kind of flip um, in the line chart happen, where all of a sudden, Total cereal sales are still up, but what's driving that are the lower sugar starred cereals and the higher sugar cereals drop down. So we think that's a pretty significant story. And if you think about the fact that in any star cereal, one, two, or three, the average sugar is about six grams per serving versus 12 grams, and you start to think about the millions and millions of boxes of cereal that are sold every year, it's a big difference in the amount of sugar and the amount of fiber going out of the store too because fiber is much higher in a star cereal than a no star cereal. It's nice to have those kind of results. Now, does does the company feel that this is something of value that they add for their customers? Does it give them a competitive advantage? Is it something that's being perceived well by their customers? Yeah, well, it's certainly, I have to say that, you know, we've heard tremendous feedback from their consumer population and their shopper population that they absolutely love this program and that as some other programs come onto the market, front of pack programs, it's interesting that, you know, the Guiding Star program keeps coming back up by their own shoppers that, well, what about Guiding Stars? You know, they have kind of this love for it. 
And to answer your first question, Hanover definitely did this as a value-added component, and they would tell you that as a business move. You know, they went to their consumers and said, you know, about 10 years ago, what can we do to enhance your shopping experience? And one thing they heard was, you know, we, we have, you know, a half an hour to do our total grocery shopping. We're completely confused. We want to read the food label. We might read it if it's a certain thing, but we don't have time to do it. Can you just help us? And then the Hanover team actually came to Carolina when I was at the University of North Carolina and said, this is what we're hearing. What do we do? And so we helped them think through that from a science, um, from a science perspective. So to the extent this is something that really helps the public, it's good news that it's in the commercial interest of a business because they may have commercial motives for it, but so what? If the public health outcome is a good one, then everybody wins. And that's exactly right. I mean, if you can sell more fruits and vegetables because there's a program on the shelf, then right, it's a win-win for everybody in my in my mind. Has there been criticism of the system, or are there weaknesses that you think might need to get repaired in the future? Yeah, I mean, the couple of criticisms that you know we've pretty much heard from day, from day one are there are there are people who first of all don't believe that a tiered system is necessary; that it should be an all or none, one icon or none. Um, I would just speak to that to say that I actually think the tiered system has been quite successful for, I'll just give an example, you know, I worked in clinical dietetics for years before I did this, and it's very hard to get someone who's always drank whole milk to skim milk. It's not, I'm telling you it's not going to happen, but you might be able to move them from whole milk to 2%, which is a one star, or the 2% drink it to a 1% milk, which is a two star. So I think from a behavior change perspective, it works. The other criticism that, that they often hear is that, well, it's only on a quarter of the store. So there's three quarters of the store left unlabeled and not helpful to the consumer. It's a piece that the company can, continues to think about. They go back to their consumers. Their constituent base tells them, we don't care, we get it. So because it's at the retail level, you know they have no plans to change it at this point, but it is, it, it is a criticism. So this sounds like a successful attempt at informing consumers about what better foods are. There have been some others that the, the food industry itself has engaged in with the mm-hmm. recent uh, smart choices, Fury being an example of that. Um, can you explain a little bit? I mean, what's your impression of the smart choices program? I can explain what it is, but yeah. why don't you do that? And then, sure. then we could talk about whether it matters if it's coming from the people that are selling the food directly to the consumers like the supermarket mm-hmm. are coming from the food companies themselves. Sure. So Smart Choices um, is a program that it actually it came out of a great consortium of different people sitting around a table and with a lot of food companies and CPG companies sitting there as well. CPG is? I'm sorry, consumer product goods okay. companies. Um, there were some retailers sitting there as well as Hannaford was invited to some of those meetings. There were a few academics there and some um, consumer advocacy groups sat there as well. And the goal of the program was for companies to get rid of all of their own front of package programs and to come up with one common system. What they ended up coming up with were criteria that dropped across 18 different categories of food. And I think what the consumer ended up seeing were criteria moving around from category to category depending on what was in the category. So for example, for most of that program, the sugar allowed, the added sugar allowed was less than 25% of, um, of total calories which is exactly what the IOM recommends, the Institute of Medicine. Yep, the Institute of Medicine. However, then you go to a category like breakfast cereal, and that number changes to 12 grams. So I I think that, you know, their attempt to cut through consumer confusion, it it caused more confusion in the end with consumers not understanding why products that that they don't envision as maybe a smart choice. Right, and there's been tremendous controversy over this just Mm -hmm. recently with the New York Times writing a very critical article about Mm -hmm. it. The Connecticut Attorney General launched an investigation into the Smart Choices program, and 
the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration right. came out with some pretty harsh comments about the Smart Choices program, and then it just got announced. I mean, within the past few days, that it's, the program is going to be more or less shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that any program has to it has to pass the straight face test, no matter what your science is, no matter how much you want to explain, you know, your thought process behind the science, it has to pass the straight face test for the consumer. I also think the consumer is smarter than we give them credit for. So when you see a logo from any program on a product that's, you know, 45% added sugar, you know, or has, you know, 50% of the DV for sodium, but 5% of the daily value for energy, it doesn't, it doesn't cut it with the consumer and they get it. So I don't know if it's safe to conclude this, but one might say that the motivation, if the food companies themselves make these, is to protect their business and basically mm-hmm. to lock in the status quo so they don't have to change their marketing very much. But for a food seller like mm-hmm. a supermarket chain, uh, I, one might imagine that they can be agnostic. If they, if they take people right. from a high-sugar cereal to a higher-fiber cereal, yeah. it's just as good for them. Exactly. I mean, I think that the retailer is a really interesting kind of player in this venue. And I think it's interesting that actually a small retailer is the one that actually initiated this Hannaford being about 168 stores, not a big player if you think about the supermarket world. But that's exactly right. They don't care what they sell as long as they sell food. And so that's the goal at the end of the day. So if they can move their consumer to a better for you product, that's truly a better for you product. That's exactly right. They just need to sell food. Right. Well, this is a very interesting history, mm-hmm. and you were right in the center of it, so it was very <laughs> nice of you to share this with us. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure being here with you today. So our guest today was Dr. Lisa Sutherland, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Senior Nutrition Scientist at the Dartmouth Medical School. Please visit our website from the Rudd Center at www.yalerudcenter.org for a, a variety of resources, including a list of the other excellent podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you.